Hi, I'm David Manti, and welcome to a new episode of the Today in Manufacturing podcast. With me today are Jeff Ranke and Anna Wells. We each have about 15 years of experience covering the manufacturing industry. Each week, we take the five biggest stories on our website and discuss the implications they have on the industry going forward. Before we get started, please make sure to like, subscribe, and share the podcast. You could also help us out a lot by reviewing the podcast on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform it is you use. Finally, if you want to email the podcast, you can reach any of us at Jeff, Anna, or David at IEN.com with email the subject line, email the podcast in the subject line. And for starters, if you're watching the video, you could talk about how banging the new studio is, right, Jeff? Awesome. This place is fantastic. Set up extremely well by our sort of talented AV people. They're, our extremely talented AV they're, people they're okay. from highly accredited colleges. Anna, how are you doing this week? I think they prefer um, AV nerds. They pre- yeah, that was their official title at first until Bossman found out about it. Shut that down real quick. Oh, really? We can't have a nerd on the website? No, no, no. <laughs> he was uh, he was quite upset. He's like, whose idea was this? And then I denied it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, very good. But either way, it's great to be in uh, the same space, be able to see everybody in the same room. That's pretty cool. Yeah. And uh, so far, I've done two interviews here, and the coolest thing it's been called is the holodeck. So- Oh, yeah. that's it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, if we could find a better name, I challenge you to provide it. But right now, that is in the lead. I Not mean, bad. In a race of one, but still <laughs> awesome. All right. Our top story this week. Amazon reportedly firing drivers with algorithm. A lot of blame is put on HR departments for doing a company's dirty work. Also, they're often terrible. That might be why Amazon has turned to algorithms for hiring and firing flex delivery drivers. Amazon uses millions of subcontracted drivers for punctual deliveries. Essentially freelance employees, drivers register on an app where they can select shifts, coordinate deliveries, and report problems. According to a Bloomberg report, the algorithm powers a system that monitors performances and can even terminate employees. These delivery drivers are having problems with locked apartment complexes and flat tires, and, but it's not that they're incompetent, but they're still getting fired. And if a driver wants to plead his or her or their case, it costs $200 to dispute the termination. Anna, I guess if you're fighting for your job, $200 isn't isn't too much. Uh, All right. Yeah. Uh, First of all, I liked your sick burn on HR departments back there. Yeah, they can all, you know, do. (laughs) Never mind. I can't I can't just I can't say anything. No, you can't because HR will find out. That's right. And then you'll get in trouble. (laughs) Uh, so Amazon is trying to brush off some of the anecdotal reports that have been going um, around about this situation. Um, I think they make it sound like <laughs> these anecdotal reports do not represent the experience of the majority of flex drivers. In fact, they said that verbatim, basically. Mm-hmm. But they do have to kind of acknowledge that some of these are making them look bad. Like there was a, a report in Business Insider that detailed the case of Nedra Lira a mom of three in Texas who had served as a contract delivery driver for Amazon for about three years uh, before she was abruptly fired via this algorithm. So according to Lyra, her car was later repossessed with her kids' Christmas presents inside, and she almost lost her house. And while I feel like these last two points are sort of sensational, mostly irrelevant details, (laughs) like I don't think Amazon had anything to do with her Christmas presents being in her car like weeks later. Mm -hmm. Right, right. But, But the point is, She was considered to be in, quote, great standing um, when she was evaluated shortly before she was fired. And um, 
Drivers have told Bloomberg that the algorithm has some failure points, including its inability to decipher, like if drivers are waiting in a long line waiting for pickup um, or if they have, as you said, like maintenance problems. Mm -hmm. The algorithm doesn't know that. So they just move forward with these drivers are delinquent, they're late, whatever. So you have to believe that some of these drivers are being terminated probably unfairly due to glitches in this technology. Jeff, it seems like uh, there's a lot of room for error here. I guess, but you know, you were talking about human resources. There's a lot of room for error when you've got human beings yep. doing something mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. So, excuse me. <clears throat> I think that this is actually a pretty novel approach. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Amazon's, when you're dealing with these individuals, these are not employees. That's kind of a term that's been slipped in here. And I know we use it sort of as a sort of a covering every basis because they were they're working for Amazon, but they're hundred percent freelance. Mm-hmm. These are folks that are qualified by Amazon to do this because they've got the right vehicle, they've got the time to do it, all that kind of stuff. But this at the end of the day is their decision to do this work for Amazon. Okay. They don't make a ton of money doing it. This is actually kind of a rough gig. Mm-hmm. I mean 18 to 25 bucks an hour on average, although it does depend on the type of stuff you're hauling, how many packages do you deliver, how well you do it, all of that type of thing. But I don't know. And you don't even get paid for gas or anything like that. It's all on you to do this. So if Amazon wants to take this approach, I understand why. Because at the end of the day, Amazon's the one on the hook. They're not saying, hey, I'm not go- I'm I'm gonna blame David Manty for my Amazon package not getting here. They're mm-hmm. gonna blame Amazon. So if this is the approach that Amazon wants to take with this group of freelancers, that I could see this almost being kind of like a herding cat situation. You've got this many people out there shuffling this many pieces of uh, of, uh, of cargo or whatever you want to call it, deliveries from Amazon. I can see how this could save a lot of time in sort of weeding out people who are picking stuff up, taking their time, takes all day to get there. Why continue to do that if it's going to diminish the reputation of your company? So it kind of works like Uber internally for yeah, Amazon. Exactly. Okay. Is this their answer to last mile delivery problems that they've had with like post office, stuff like that? Potentially. I mean, I think in looking at the, I thought that these guys were going to be get, getting paid a little better, yeah. like per mile or some sort of gas. Maybe, and maybe there is differences once you get into the program for a bit, but according to the site, it's pretty straightforward. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's your maintenance on your vehicle. It's your gas cost, everything else. It's up to you to keep your vehicle up to spec and so that can handle all these deliveries. And you have to be very proactive in terms of figuring out what makes sense for you to deliver in picking up, what do they call it? Their block, I believe, is what they call their deliveries for that set amount of time. Okay. So it does take a lot on the individual going in, knowing what they're going to have to deal with. As far as handling the last mile, potentially. But, I mean, I think it's more of a cost savings option for Amazon, to be honest. I did see that the company also uses this software to manage its warehouse workers. So it's not just um, it's not just the freelance workers. Um but I can't stand customer service bots as it is. So I can't imagine that I would keep my cool if I was fired by one. But then again, I've never really been one to keep my cool with HR either. So, but I just, the idea of like the, uh, you know, it has five selections that I can provide you. Yeah. You know, the email coming through, you've been fired. Why? No response. It just seems it seems a little bit more cold. And it's also a problem, you know, when you take the human out of human resources, like you said, though employees, particularly at larger companies like Amazon, have long complained that they're just a number or a cog in the machine. And this just really enforces that mm-hmm. notion. Yeah, this woman um, in this Business Insider report, she said that when she appealed the decision, um, she basically got on this email chain with this group of people that she had never met. And they just kind of looked 
through the paperwork and denied her appeal. So they don't know anything about her. They don't know her. I mean, obviously, you know, these are the risks, I guess, that you're assuming when you take this kind of a gig job. But mm -hmm. it's not, like you said, Jeff, it's not an easy job, yeah. you know? I think I think it's kind of transparent, though, when you're going in. Mm -hmm. Now, it's still crappy if you're being treated disrespectfully regardless of the circumstance. I get the frustration from their end of it. Mm -hmm. But from Amazon's, I don't know, I kind of get it. I wonder how long you're out of work, though. I mean, if you really want it back with the worker shortage, I wonder if it's like you got to take three months and then they're like, all right, if you still got a car, we're good. <laughs> yeah, and this yeah. one, this case was in the fall, mm -hmm. and this woman was a school bus driver, and her job got eliminated because of the pandemic. And so she was doing this um, like more full time, I think, for Amazon. Mm -hmm. um, so maybe then it was not so easy to just bounce back. But now you would think hopefully it is. Right. Uh -huh. It's good that the gig economy is there for struggling companies like Amazon to take advantage. Right, exactly. And then once you get fired by a robot accidentally, you can just do something else. Exactly. <laughs> Our next most popular story this week, Navy ditches futuristic railgun. Last week, the U.S. Navy killed the electric railgun project. The futuristic weapon could fire projectiles at up to seven times the speed of sound using electricity, just about 5,370 miles per hour. So probably not going to feel it anyways. The Navy spent more than a decade developing the electromagnetic railgun, but the Department of Defense is turning its attention to hypersonic missiles to keep up with China and Russia. While the Navy cut funding for the railgun in its last budget, it sounds more like a pause than a final nail in the, nail in the coffin, as all research will be retained if and when the Office of Naval Research wants to resurrect the project. I mean, and it sounds like a futuristic idea, but it really dates back to the 1940s. And Jeff, this has got to be a bummer because Rods from God is our number one viewed video of all time on YouTube. <laughs> so I'm, I'm sorry that this is the this is the end for it now. It's a comma, not a period, right? I think so, because I think one of the, the main application they're looking at for the railgun, I think was sort of not misplaced, but but best you know possible outcome. Because when you're looking at putting a railgun on a naval ship, the amount of power that these weapons required is incredible. I mean, you're shooting roughly a 30-pound piece of metal at 5,400 miles an hour. Yeah. I mean, and it's great that it doesn't need any munitions, any gunpowder, anything like that, or any rocket booster, but still, to generate that much power, that much electrical power, you have to. You basically need a power plant on the ship just mm -hmm. for the railgun. I think that's one of the areas that they were really struggling with. Plus, despite all of this energy, they could, it was only good for like 110 miles, yeah, the range on range. it. Yeah. So for a naval application, oh, yeah. you're, you're too close. Mm -hmm. you, you, that just doesn't work. I think when they do get a chance to revisit this, from a purely defensive posture, I think there is an application for a railgun when you're in a fixed position. However, with a lot of the stuff we've been talking about in terms of military trends and where the new developments are coming from, it's we need to go island to island type thing. It's smaller. It's more mobile. At times, autonomous. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I think that's all of those things were sort of leading, working against the railgun in terms of how much energy it required. Just the fact that we're not looking for huge big guns anymore. We're looking mm -hmm. at smaller stuff that's easier to shoot from longer away. And that's where the hypersonics come in. Um, mm -hmm. It's funny because they're actually slower than the railgun. Yeah. They've just got, you know, roughly 17 times the distance. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, and they also, so they said a normal gun can be fired 600 times before the barrel has to be refurbished. The railgun prototype was good for about a dozen. 
So Oof. yeah, it's just, I mean, the power is ridiculous. It's, it's incredible. Yeah. Uh, Anna, what were your thoughts on the uh, demise, temporary demise of the railgun? I don't know. All I could really look at was that just tremendous cash output behind it and mm-hmm. just to get nothing out of that. I, don't know. I mean, like, so this project started in 2005. In 2017, um, you know, reports started to emerge declaring that this railgun may be dead. Mm-hmm. Um, and then at that time, in 2017, they were saying that the R&D that had been spent to that, to that date was $500 million. Mm-hmm. Today, we're told that these won't see combat, and the R&D bill that this article cites that we ran is $500 million, mm-hmm. which yeah. I feel like maybe that tab has gotten a little <laughs> bit higher in the last yeah. five years. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, even if that tech hasn't really advanced, you know, there's they're hanging on to it. You can't just keep it in limbo for no dollars. So, um, you know, the funding is getting cut. Mm-hmm. right this year but like we don't know how much has actually been spent yeah. on this project and that's disappointing although i get it that the military has to take some really expensive risks when it comes to technology i mean we rely on the military to do that but it doesn't take away from the fact that this is really like an insane amount of money for this project yeah. that's really gone nowhere you know yeah i mean there's something about this type of this weapon though that is just enamors everyone mm-hmm. we've been running stories on rail guns for a while yeah. and every time we do <laughs> it, it always performs well. So there's just something about this technology. Not that that's a reason why, mm-hmm. you know, the DOD should sp- spend probably closer to a billion dollars, let's be real, if mm-hmm. it was $500 million four years ago um, on this type of project. But I think it was just the fact that over the long term, it could reduce costs so much in terms of munitions spending. Mm-hmm. That's what made it appealing. Plus, let's just be real, it's super cool. I mean, yeah. you're shooting something 5,000 miles an hour. I mean, that's yeah. ridiculous. You, you, they released one video of a test. It was like, <laughs> okay. Yeah. Let's let's give this a shot. Yeah. Well, and you're talking about, because uh, Anna, that wasn't the one thing I thought about with the investment is that the allure was that you know it, it would be pennies on the dollar compared to smart bombs and missiles because they use electricity instead of gunpowder or jets or rockets. Mm-hmm. But you know it's really, really expensive paperweight now. It's not going anywhere. It's exactly. going into the uh, the Indiana Jones warehouse that you referenced the other week. <laughs> just in, it's got to be a big warehouse. Yeah, box it. We'll find you know just make sure it's labeled. We'll find it later. <laughs> All right. Next most popular story, uh, sticking with the Navy. The U.S. Navy creates a blast the size of an earthquake to test a ship. On Friday, June 18th, the U.S. Navy detonated a 20-ton explosive charge in a, quote, shock trial for its new aircraft carrier, the USS Gerald R. Ford. The blast was so massive that it registered as a 3.9 on the Richter scale. That's the one for earthquakes. The experimental explosion took place in the Atlantic Ocean about 100 miles, 100 miles off the coast of Florida. The Ford, as it's known, is the Navy's most expensive warship and serves as the first in a new class of advanced aircraft carriers. The new ship was designed using advanced computer modeling methods, testing and analysis, but, you know, you have to make sure that the ship can withstand real-world battle conditions. So, Jeff, they hit it with the most powerful (laughs) non-nuclear explosive in the United States arsenal. And yeah, they just, they're like, use the biggest one. This was like a ton, right? 20 ton. 20 ton bomb. Yes. So yeah, I mean, this is one of the reasons I think I, watching this footage, it's why I joined the army. Like when (laughs) something bad happens, at least I'm on the ground. Like, I mean, this was, this could have been terrifying. I can't even imagine what this felt like if when you were 
there mm-hmm. um, and feeling all that. <clears throat> What's interesting is actually this is the first of three of these types of tests that they're actually going to perform. So I just think it would be cool to get some firsthand accounts of like some of the sailors that were on this ship and what that actually felt like. Yeah. Not that they're probably going to be able to talk about it anytime soon, but um, pretty interesting. And the other thing I found out is actually the, this is not completely like a foreign concept. This is actually part of what the Navy does with a lot of new ships. It's called their full ship shock trial. Mm-hmm. And actually this is the first one that took place since like 2016, I think, mm-hmm. uh, like in the last five years. But just the first time with yes. this, this big of a bomb. Yeah. Um, so the the quality control efforts with the Navy are, are definitely moving forward pretty strongly right now. I was just hoping communication was better than, uh, you know, we, we uh, ran the military exercise that accidentally went oh, yeah. to the factory. <laughs> the factory. Yeah. I was just hoping that, you know, the email made it to everybody. Like, yeah. FYI, yeah. we're going to blow the ocean into the air for a hot second. This is a test. Yeah, just a test. Don't call your families. Yeah. And it was, so the Navy has not performed a test like this on such a large-scale aircraft carrier since 1987. And, you know, war preparation aside, this just had to be a fun day, Anna. <laughs> I a guess. Fu- a fun day in the ocean. Everyone hang on. Yeah, I think there's still been some kind of weird follow-up to this um, exercise, which obviously... Everyone um, in the military kind of knew what was going on there. But like some people, I don't know if you guys saw this, actually posed a theory that the tests were what caused the tragic collapse of the condo building in Surfside, Florida. Um, Wow. Because the Ponce Inlet is about 250 miles from where that disaster took place. And one expert told the Miami Herald that they would check it out. Um, But there was another seismologist that they interviewed that was like quite a bit more clear in his response, basically saying that this size of an earthquake is actually quite common in the U S and is very, very unlikely that this played any role. So he said, um, let's see, I got the quote here. Given the size of the explosion, the distance from the building and the time between the explosion and the collapse, we do not see any reasonable mechanism for the Navy explosion on June 18th to have triggered the collapse of the Miami beach area condo on June 24th. He said there are about 300 earthquakes of similar size to the Navy explosion in the contiguous U.S. every year, none of which have triggered a major building collapse. So if you do see this story circulating or maybe on social media, mm-hmm. you know how this stuff. Oh, yeah. I gains, can already see the memes. Gain some steam. Yeah. Um, David, when you're on TikTok, just yeah. ignore this stuff. All the yeah. time you spend on there, I know. I know. I do like to TikTok a lot. Yeah. Yes. Keep it off of TikTok or uh, dispel this myth if mm-hmm. you see it. This guy was the... Um, the a seismologist with the U.S. Geological Survey's National Earthquake Information Center. So I think he knows enough. He's legit. And, you know, he came out and said a little bit more than, we'll look into it. Right? I know. Yeah. Like, eh, we'll check it out. I think to a lot of people, including us, like a <clears throat> 3.9, that sounds like something. Mm-hmm. But on the Richter scale, that's actually relatively minor, mm-hmm. right? That's not considered a big earthquake either. Yeah, we're in the Midwest, so we don't understand earthquakes yeah. really. Um, we don't. I mean, has it registered? So that's a big deal to us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Somebody in California is like a 3.9. I mean, yeah. that's not even my alarm clock, you know? No, what is it? So it goes to 10, right? Does yeah. it? Okay. I don't I even mean, know. I don't even know the Richter scale. Yeah, right. This is like a fun fact that has left me since grade school. Um, no, that does, but I mean, that does sound, it, it, uh, it's got a lot of the uh, harrowing sounding words in it but really it was just a test it didn't knock down the building that mm-hmm. was the uh all the uh, the host of other problems that we're going to jump into right now yikes 
Segway. Second most popular story this week. Engineers say a building the building needed nine million dollars or more in repairs before collapse. Morabito Consultants is a structural engineering firm with offices in Maryland and Florida. In 2018, the company was hired by the Champlain Towers South Condominium Association in Surf- Surfside, Florida, to prepare the 40-year recertification of the condo building. The report detailed significant cracks and breaks in the concrete, which required repairs to ensure the safety of the residents and the public. The firm came back in June 2020 to put together a game plan for the necessary repairs and restoration work. When the building collapsed, roof repairs were underway, but concrete restoration had not yet begun. The owners of the 136 units were on the hook for more than $9 million in major repairs. The total jumped to $15 million with aesthetic repairs. Many people are still missing, and the remaining structure's instability has hindered the search for survivors. Engineers are also trying to find a way to bring the remaining structure down without hampering ongoing search and rescue efforts. Anna, this has just been a tragedy every day in Florida. Yeah, it's really awful to observe. And, you know, there's still a lot of unanswered questions, I think. Um, potentially there were failures on many levels, mm-hmm. um, not least of which was the fact that the residents of this building were told that they were not in any danger. And then obviously that was not true. But I guess one of my first thoughts that I had when I was reading about um, the examination of this building and all the theories that they have as to why this happened Um is like right now I'm betting that concrete workers and um, structural engineers and and contractors of many stripes are probably busier than they've ever been. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, with that high demand, I think like some people probably saw this and got spooked by it and are probably looking to uh, get some of these people in their doors, take another look at their buildings, make sure everything's safe and operating properly, that they don't have maintenance concerns, what have you. Um, and a lot of those people are going to have to wait, you know? Mm. I mean, I don't see like this, you know, wellspring of tradespeople that are just ready and able to do the work right now. Um, and it's really expensive. You know, mm. we've seen the price of materials go crazy right now, especially things like, you know, steel, things that are used in like concrete re- rebar and stuff. It's not a good time to be like pushing this industry yeah. to help, you know, but I know people will be looking to these folks to say like, um, come in and figure out, you know, if we have a problem too. Right. I mean, uh, Jeff, I don't know if you've tried to do any repairs in your house, but I feel like uh, <laughs> they're hard to they're hard to even get in the house right now. Absolutely. You know, anybody who's seen the footage oh, yeah. of that collapsing, how can you look and only think it's like nine million dollars that oh. needed to be to be plugged in there? Mm-hmm. And when you look at what they were l- looking for, I think the 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 owners or the condo association or whatever was looking for like a $15 million line of credit mm-hmm. to do a lot of repairs. And a lot of it seemed more aesthetic. Mm-hmm. They did point out that they needed some structural uh, repairs as well. But man, when you see that thing come down, that looked like a lot more than that to to fix that and make that building sound and safe. Mm-hmm. Somebody knew something. I think this, this is one of those stories that is going to continue to generate headlines, mm-hmm. especially in the aftermath once they get past not that everybody will be able to get past, but once the news cycle moves past the tragedy of it mm-hmm. and starts focusing on like the, the potential corruption and yeah. everything else mm-hmm. that's involved here, um, this, I mean, this could be really a landmark sort of case or a case study in what not to do yeah. or what, what leads to more regulation in terms of who's qualified to build these buildings. This is the third one of these stories we, that I know we've covered recently. Mm-hmm. 
We've been tracking that one in San Francisco with that huge apartment complex oh, out yeah. there that had the leaning issue that they weren't sure oh, how that yeah. was going right. to go. A couple of weeks ago, you know, when Andy was in, we talked about that building in China where mm-hmm. the Chinese government oh, basically yeah. said, hey, it's fine. It's fine. Don't worry yeah. about it. Mm-hmm. Well, mm-hmm. we keep going up. We keep building everything up. Maybe not everybody's qualified to do that type of work. Well, and what I found, I mean, the dramatic footage is that, like, it was that it was at 1.30 in the morning. Uh, you know, it, uh, the other thing that I thought of was as some of these inspectors, um, have come out sharing photos that they've taken of the facility is that these are all maintenance rooms, you know, all these people that were upset about the charges and they were talking about, so being on the hook for it, you know, depending on whether or not you had a single or like a penthouse, you were on the hook for 80,000 to $330,000 for the repairs that needed to be started being paid by yesterday or, uh, by, uh, July 1st. And um, it was, I can understand why people were pushing back because it was out of sight. You know, like uh, they didn't see the crumbling concretes. They didn't see the exposed rebar. And uh, so in 2019, five people resigned from the condo board out of seven on the condo board, partly because of the slow response to the major structural problems. And they cited everything from ongoing problems with ego battles to undermining the roles of fellow board members and gossip and mistruths. And it's just mm. at some point, everyone's got to sit down and say, we're having severe problems here and we all need to work together to make sure everything stays, you know, safe. Well, yeah. And, you know, we talk about infrastructure being this sort of boring issue that nobody wants to yeah. fund because you don't really get to see the results. I think we take for granted, we cover building collapses in developing countries much more frequently than this. You don't see this very much in the United States. And it's truly terrifying to think that this could happen here um, with the level of regulations and requirements that you need to have in place to build a new building. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just, that's really alarming. Probably a lot of these people didn't, you know, no one ever thinks their building is going to fall down, mm-hmm. you know. I think that's the probably the most heartbreaking part of this. When you buy a house, there is some level of personal responsibility that you can accept. Because you can go through your house, you can see if things are mm-hmm. going sideways. How do you do it with a, I mean, an apartment mm-hmm. building like this or a yeah. condo building like this? I mean, you're, you really are at the mercy of those individuals who built it and maintain it. Mm-hmm. And you're trusting them. And you're paying a lot of money to trust them. Yeah, and just the stories we've heard about pumps running constantly to get water off of concrete and out of maintenance rooms and away from other equipment is just, uh, it's tragic. It's, yeah. uh, everything about it's tragic. Yeah. Um, well, our top story this week, gas stations are running out of fuel as the 4th of July nears. Anytime we have a holiday weekend, gas prices are in the news. This year, the 4th of July was met with gas, gas shortages and rising fuel prices. Fuel outages hit California, Colorado, and Iowa, among others, and the number of stations experiencing shortages is expected to grow. The cause of the shortage isn't demand or production, but the shortage of oil tank truck drivers. Oil tank truck drivers need special qualifications, which make it hard to find qualified drivers. And right now, gas is about is a dollar more expensive than it was this time last year, and it's predicted to stay north of about $3 until fall. Anna, is this just our regular... It's summer. It's the 4th of July. Let's talk about how high the gas prices are (laughs) as everyone gets in the car. Well, I think you hit on it. I mean, it's the same drama that we had leading up to Memorial Day weekend, which was this 
shortage of tanker truck drivers. Um, we've discussed this in the past. It's not the easiest job. It's not the best pay. Mm -hmm. And their numbers are not just being impacted by the same variables as like how the pandemic is impacting other industries. Like driver shortages are not a blip. Mm -hmm. We've been dealing with this for a very long time and these circumstances are just making them worse to the point where consumers are beginning to feel it. And, you know, we're seeing this in other industries in ways we haven't in a really long time. But I found it interesting that AAA said that despite the highest gas prices in years, that like 91% of travel 4th of July weekend would be via car. Oh, yeah. So, you know, you have the airline industry that we know is bouncing back somewhat, but they're like literally begging for business and people are not ready to get on planes, I guess, despite this dollar more per gallon um, price increase on gas. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't know um, what gets Americans back on I, planes. I, well, no, I think it's well with people, everyone driving. It's just a right now a perfect storm of people are still kind of. Uh, you know, got a little cabin fever, need to get out of the house. Eager so, to get out yeah. on the road. And, and uh, yeah. they're just like, we got an extra day. We're getting the hell out of here. Yeah. yeah. No, it's uh, Jeff. I mean, uh, you're still going somewhere. We're still driving. I think typically we're looking at volatility in gas prices. It's a supply and demand issue. Mm -hmm. the, the prices go up and down and basically the big refineries control that. Mm -hmm. When people are driving more, they're going to get as much as they can for each barrel of oil that they're selling. Gas prices go up. They usually come down around holidays, though, a little bit just because they want to make sure people are driving and staying in hotels and going to national parks and all that good stuff because that's a big part, of, obviously, of the economy as well. But now, yeah, this is a totally different reason for there to be potential um, inventory issues with gasoline mm -hmm. because we don't have drivers. And in my mind, <clears throat> I'll bring this argument up again. President Biden shut down a huge pipeline that was going to be going through for environmental reasons and paused some other developments for pipelines. If we can't find people to haul the gas, we're still driving more. 1% mm -hmm. of all vehicles in the U.S. are electric. Okay? Yeah. We have not grabbed onto that like the rest of the world. Mm -hmm. So if we need gas, pipelines, they're more economical. They're actually safer environmentally than rail or truck. Maybe that's what we need more of. I, uh, I'm going to go back to my previous rebuttal and say we still need drivers to get it from the end of the pipeline to the gas stations. Back those pipelines right up to the pump. Right up? Yeah. Right up to the pump. Yeah. Completely. <laughs> everything's hardwired. Hey, yeah. we need, people need jobs. That We're looking for infrastructure improvement. What? Sounds like nerve wracking. You know how like when someone's smoking a cigarette outside the gas station and you like give them the evil eye? Yeah. Could you As imagine if there's a pipeline there and they were doing that? <laughs> right. I would be out of there. I'm sure there would be safety measures in place oh, to make I'm sure, sure only the would. state blew up. Right. Um, I was curious. So what's it going to take to move the needle on this problem? And actually, before we get started on that, just everyone, as you're filling up, or as you're filling up and gas prices are going through the roof, just remember it's because they won't let truck drivers use the potty. Now, <laughs> what's going to move the needle on this problem? How expensive does gas have to get before you'll think twice about driving or actually be angry enough to yell at people to, you know, like pay drivers more or whatever it takes to move the needle in terms of the worker shortage? I don't know. It is taking better care of the drivers, in my opinion. I agree. Yeah. <clears throat> um, the working, that's a tough job. They're underappreciated. They're underpaid. And they're asked to do some, like, especially, I know some of this when we looked at it, a lot of it is like day type driving. Mm -hmm. Like it's not weeks at a time and stuff cross country. Still, that's a hard day. Mm -hmm. um, you're still dealing with a lot of traffic and, and everything we were just talking about, increasing number of vehicles on the road. 
people are not always the best on the freeway, which yeah. is where these guys are uh, going. So, yeah, I think paying them better, maybe even doing something where you have a tag team in the cab. So mm-hmm. one guy drives there, one guy drives back. Whatever the case is, I do think we need to work on improving those conditions for those guys to get more of them out there. Because even though I do advocate pipelines, yeah, we need guys hauling gas. Well, and it's also, it comes down to uh, opening up the pool as well. Because I believe that uh, there is a minimum age requirements. I think it was 18, maybe it was 21, for drivers with these specific skills. And you just need to make sure that it's available to the largest pool of people, especially when nobody's taking the job, right? Yeah. You guys, do you think that um, tanker trucks are going to be first in line for autonomous, autonomous trucks. trucks? I think Would, so. Like, does that make you well, nervous? No, that's not <laughs> true. As long as there's a human being somewhere, mm-hmm. they're not behind the wheel. Yeah. That's okay. If once we get it right, <laughs> as long as it's not the Tesla autopilot that we're, that we're you relying want a on immediately. Driver. Yeah. yeah. Somebody needs to be there. Yeah. Yeah. I would say the first in line is definitely going to be Amazon delivery trucks because they have the capital to make that happen. Yeah. Maybe they should be the first in line to get it done. But uh, yeah, big oil is, has not had a great year or two. Mm-hmm. So maybe they're like, well, you, yeah. Yeah. Subsidize it. That's right. <laughs> um, so curiously, the most expensive gas is, is in Hong Kong. That makes would sense. you pay $9.60 a gallon for gas? And would you second guess where you go for, where you drive for vacations? Well, how much do people get paid in Hong Kong? I'm pretty sure it's not that. Not It's not equivalent. I don't know. I don't, Average I don't. wage. So it's three like, times more? Three times more expensive. So here's the thing. So we're driving up north. It's a it's four, four and a half hour drive. But once we get there, we're there. Mm-hmm. You know? So do I feel like I'm being, I don't know, hogging gas? By, by doing that with my family? No, because once we get there, we're not, you know, we're using kayaks. Mm-hmm. You're, <laughs> yeah. cracking a, not... you're cracking a Mike's Hard Lemonade and just... <laughs> oh, come on. I'm actually going to be actually popping my favorite up north beer, which is a Point Amber. Oh, Point Beer. I yes. like it. Yeah. Yes. Eric is nodding his head, the Stevens Point alum. So th- I think that's one, you know, there's it's not just cars. I mean, there is also like right now in Wisconsin, we got a lot of boating going on and some mm-hmm. some other sources that are absorbing some of this. So I don't know. Um, to to like start pointing the finger at people, like you need to conserve gas more. Yeah, I don't know about that. Would I pay nine bucks to go where we're going for gas? Yeah, yeah I would because oh, okay. I'm not going to spend any gas more on gas once I get there. Yeah, I'm done. And yeah. it's a one and done. It's like a your yeah. summer trip, right? It's less than an, yeah. you know, if I got to buy airline tickets for five people. Yeah, you can. You can make a lot of uh, the budget changes a lot differently. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so the average salary for a male worker in Hong Kong is twenty four hundred dollars a month, and eighteen hundred seventy five dollars for females a month. Yeah. And they're paying nine sixty. I'm guessing. But people do people drive in Hong Kong? Uh yes, I'm pretty sure. I have no idea. We have no idea. We'll follow we, up We are that. talking more about Hong Kong than we should. <laughs> yeah. Based Anna on our is level grilling of knowledge. David on Hong Kong. Yeah. yeah. No, I mean, it's worse because I have like the average in the UK is still 692, but in Venezuela, it's about eight cents a gallon. So I was Let's just not throw Venezuela out as any type of economic role model. No, I completely understand. I just wanted to see some of the prices from around the globe just to see like at what point would people finally <laughs> just say, Okay, we got to fix the problem. No, or not just it's not my problem. No, when you're talking about nine bucks a gallon for driving to work or driving to a store, yeah, that at that point, then you definitely start thinking about it more. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's where, like, we were talking about car ride sharing last week. 
then maybe that's where that comes into play mm-hmm. when gas gets that bad because then that's real. Because yeah. let's be honest, like when we're talking about rising gas prices and it goes up a quarter, do you think about that? I notice it when I pay, but I don't really think about it changing anything. Yeah, for me, I like know. honestly, with the story when I read that it was a dollar more expensive this year than last year, I was like, oh, I didn't recall that at all. Like I didn't notice the dollar shift over the year. Well, I remember how cheap it was last it year. It was for a so while. cheap. Yeah. So like that's not like our baseline, right? I mean, I yeah. don't think that's fair. Okay. Well, let's move on to in case you missed it before Anna asks me about job. About One more question, David, if you will, life. about Hong Kong. What Myanmar, please? <laughs> not good there. Things are not good. No. Um, all right. Jeff, what is your in case you missed it this week? Okay. So I have realized that like when we talk about stuff in the office, I can tend to be the guy who sort of shoots holes in things, mm-hmm. gets a little negative. But this story is one of the reasons I think why <laughs> I have become that individual. Okay. So we covered a while ago about Mexico's transit system their metro had that horrible accident that uh that bridge collapsed killed 25 people horrible horrible situation there was a long track record of poor maintenance records and and everything else Mm -hmm. with that well i saw this headline and at first i was really i was like this is awesome because it's mexico's richest man to rebuild and pay for the collapsed subway Mm -hmm. i thought this is great Mm -hmm. this individual is stepping up because this is such a heavily traveled public transit system this individual wants to help all these people. He's going the extra mile for his community. Yes. No. <laughs> no. And first of all, I should have known something was up. The guy's name is Carlos Slim. Yeah. Oh, you don't trust him based on yeah. that? I want to, Anna. That was the, the, that was the second paragraph of the story. I'm like, no, I'm going to keep going. This is going to get better. <laughs> well, Carlos Slim is a multi-billionaire, Okay. Mexico's again, is the richest man in Mexico. What he said is he went to the, the Mexican government. He said, you know what? Don't worry about any of this stuff. I'm going to clean it all up, and I'm going to rebuild it. Mm-hmm. Well, the reason why is his companies are the ones that built it in the first place. Yeah. Are you serious? Yes. So Mexico is so excited that somebody's going to foot the bill for this. They're basically going, you know what? We know because we brought in a consulting firm that said he didn't use enough steel. Mm-hmm. The steel that he did use was welded horribly. Mm-hmm. And then the concrete that he poured on everything to hide the crappy welds and lack of steel was defective. Mm-hmm. But you know who we're going to trust to rebuild this thing? Carlos Slim. He's going to do it right this time. This time he's going to mm-hmm. make up for it. Yeah. Uh, are people pushing back? No. Okay. Because this guy has so much political clout. Mm-hmm. He is also building this huge railroad structure that's apparently going around like the whole Yucatan p- Peninsula mm-hmm. in Mexico. Um, and because he's also tied to a lot of other higher up officials in the Mexican government, everybody's like, this guy's a hero. Yeah, This guy's amazing. Look at what he's doing when the reality is by swooping in and doing this, not only is he removing any potential investigation possibility for people looking into what how how responsible he would be for the death of 25 people. Wow. I mean, forget any type of criminal acts. What about the families there who could potentially come back at these companies and say, look what you did. Mm -hmm. Look what you didn't do and look at what happened. But because he's going in there, cleaning everything up, rebuilding it, everything's cool. And when they asked the the Mexican officials, like, how much is this actually going to cost Mr. Slim? Their response is, well, we're not really talking about that. Mm-hmm. We're not, we're not going to talk about that. Now, if this guy really wants to be a good Samaritan, what he should do is say, 
bring in whoever you want to build this thing and I'll pay them. Yeah. Yeah. But that's not what's going on because I'm sure if anybody else comes in to clean this up and look at it, they're going to be saying, what were these guys doing? Wow. This is, this was done horribly and chances are it's going to be done horribly again. So these poor people in Mexico City relying on this metro system to get around, they're basically going to be back to square one. Mm-hmm. It's hard to believe that he's just going to flip the script and be like, you know what? Yeah, I got to do it right this time. Mm-hmm. It's uh, This is PR 101. He's taking control of the situation. But it's so transparent. Oh, it's very I transparent. Mean, and I just I picture them just kind of pushing the concrete back up on the pedestal and going, <clears> fine. <throat> Trust us this time. I, I I don't know. It's really frustrating when you see people wind up in these like uh, situations where they're about to be fooled twice. Um, but I don't know. That seems all around bad. It's not good. It's just hard to believe that this is actually a solution. Mm-hmm. And it's just unfortunate that Mexico City is in such a tough economic situation where they don't have a lot of choices. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. The the metro is already operating at a loss. We we covered that. We talked about how little it cost to ride, how much little revenue they had coming in. So they're looking to somebody to be the good Samaritan here. It's just the wrong, wrong dude. Yikes. Maybe he will do it right, learn from the error of his ways, and then fix the rest of the subway. That is one. You have been reading a lot of wonderful stories to your boys, <laughs> I can tell. Where it's end. always got the happy ending. Yeah. yeah. No, infrastructure problems. Also, is he like uh, is he like Mexican Elon Musk? No, he's like... I didn't want to say like not counterproductive. I mean, he's he's an engineering Bizarro. and construction guy. Oh, okay. So I mean, well, just because you were talking about I don't, I don't rail, know who be. it yeah. was like rail infrastructure, other stuff like that. Mm-hmm. It just uh, uh, that was the vibe I got when you were talking about it. So big miss on my bit, my part, my part. But I mean, maybe that's where they should go. Bring Musk in, dig some tunnels. Yeah, right. You know? Prop up the sagging city that we talked about before. Mexico City is also like dropping because the aquifer underneath it is being yeah. depleted and. We've got some problems. The city's sinking. Bring in Musk to make more holes. Yeah, put a tunnel <laughs> under it. Right? Uh, Swiss cheese are sinking island. Uh, Anna, what's your, in case you missed it this week? Uh, speaking of really rich dudes, uh, Richard Branson has revealed that he plans to take a ride in the Virgin Galactic spacecraft, his own company. And he is going to go to space before... Jeff Bezos previously scheduled July 20th launch via his Blue Origin rocket. So I guess prepare yourself for Elon Musk to just like quick hop on a SpaceX (laughs) this weekend just to like get in front of these two guys. But I don't know. I I don't know about you guys. Like maybe this is just like a harmless tit for tat and I should just enjoy the spectacle. But something about this just really irritates me. Like the world's wealthiest people trying to outdo each other on a international stage like it just feels sort of immature to me i don't know i must like well how do you feel if you're one of those virgin employees that got laid off and now your boss the guy like you know you've probably drank a little bit of the kool-aid anyway if you're Mm -hmm. lurking there and you you know richard branson such an iconic individual yeah you're like yeah he's focused on important things like getting a ride to space before jeff bezos nine nine days earlier right yeah so he says that he needs to take a ride on this ship to instill confidence in consumers mm-hmm. in order for them to trust the technology as well, which I get. But this, like, I'm going to do it right now, though. Like, yeah, ugh, that's just so annoying to watch. Like, you two, it's great that you guys have so much money. You should just buy, like, some Renaissance paintings and just 
one after the other and show each other them via, I don't know, like whatever rich people do. This holographic screen that they've developed. Yeah, exactly. Like I'm much more interested actually in seeing, so this guy named Wally Funk, um, he's one of the last surviving members of the Mercury 13. He is actually going with Jeff Bezos to space as an honored guest and he is 82 years old. So he's going to be the oldest person um, in space, which I feel like is much cooler than like the richest person in space. Like I don't care who that is. Um, good luck to you guys. I hope you guys win your stupid contest. <laughs> I got to say, at least Richard Branson, the most good looking CEO out there anyways, I trust him. <laughs> like, uh, he has done a lot of philanthropic work. <laughs> <laughs> the best looking CEO. That's why you're trusting him? Absolutely. He has the cleanest white, snow white beard and hair. There's no way he's lying to you behind that smile. So what about, like, did you... <laughs> So, like, when Kenny Rogers was alive, he was your most trusted entertainment 100%. superstar, right? He White was a beard. gambler and a hero. No, I trusted him hands down, Kenny Rogers, until he changed his face. became quite untrustworthy. How yep. much oatmeal do you eat? Plenty. <laughs> More in my older age. <laughs> um, no, uh, Richard Branson, I at least, uh, when he does sort of these PR, uh, he, he does these uh, promotional stunts, I, I don't know. He's his approach to his businesses is a little bit more laissez faire uh, than Bezos and Musk. Well, he's so, British, right? So like he's more reserved. Yeah. So that's I mean, naturally. Than it's us, like, the accent and the beard. And the boorish style. Americans. Yeah. Um, that oatmeal thing was a Wilfred Brimley reference, by the way. Yeah. Sorry. I don't know, I though, right. I don't know if that was clear. It wasn't. I got it. Though. No. Okay. You just you just rolled right with it. Oh yeah. No. I didn't think Kenny Rogers was into oatmeal. Yeah. But. No. Fired right through. I was like, <laughs> we don't know that for I'm sure. Like, is there some sort of lyric in the Gambler about oatmeal? That is a deep cut. No. David knows more about Hong Kong than he knows about <laughs> <laughs> Kenny Rogers. Uh my in case you missed it stories that we uh you know didn't get it weren't as popular this week but you know we want to give a little bit more attention was an interesting one about a shipping error that sent a machine cross country uh little brother chinese food sells frozen dumplings in portland maine demand was up and so the company ordered a custom dumpling machine from china in march that could increase production by 3000 dumplings per week so it's going to be huge business it was delivered in May, but the problem was that it was headed for Portland, Oregon. Oops. By the time the co-owner, Richard Lee, caught the mistake, it was already in the water and nothing could be done. And according to customs broker Ocean Air, this is a common and very costly mistake that happens to a lot of smaller companies. Uh, and shipping the machine cross-country where it needed to be cost almost as much as the machine itself. And that... It was just a bummer. We talked about <laughs> problems with the shipping industry. Yeah. And when we talked about problems with the shipping industry, one of the things I never thought about was what happens when it's in the water and it's going the wrong way. Well, and they caught it, right? Like they called when it was, on, when it was in the water. Yeah. They, and and they were just, just like, just missed it. Yeah, it's not like they could it. stop the ship. And turn, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sorry. We'll turn this wrong around. Coast. Just yeah. hold billions tight. of dollars of other yeah. equipment on here. Yeah. But uh, it's, how was that common? That's well, actually, anecdotally, I did. I recently did a story on a small machine shop and he talked about all the problems. He was talking to me about all the problems he had shipping with trains because essentially you weren't you couldn't you just had to get it on the skid. And then really you were you were relying on them to get it from A to B. Mm -hmm. He had machines fall off of trains, just not show up. 
he had uh you know he's had shipping problems where you hire a logistics company and really all they're doing is getting that crate to the other destination they don't care anything about like oh there's extremely sensitive electronics and sensors in here and so it it is a large issue for these small businesses that maybe don't have as much time to dedicate to make sure that it's being done as carefully as possible i I mean that is that's huge like think about it your company your dumpling company is exploding i don't know how much this is going to increase production and you know you order this custom machine it's coming and it's like it's on the other side of the U.S. Yeah. Can we go get it? It's, I don't know. It just uh, it, it seemed like really frustrating. Well, and I felt bad for him too in reading this because cause I remember this one because I looked at this one a little bit closer too. But once they got it, they were thinking it was going to be oh, just yeah. like a plug and play, like no problem. Mm-hmm. Whatever is needed to need to, to be done to create a dumpling, I am not going to speak on any level of knowledge of that but yeah they thought it was gonna be pretty straightforward to use and it's super complicated apparently this machinery so they went through all of this to get it super expensive they get it there and they're still sort of trying to figure out how to use it use it yeah no it's i mean that's another problem with automation is it's i always talk to people is what kind of training do you need to give people Mm -hmm. because yeah they're uh finally our business we're back in business we're making more dumplings why how does it work yeah (laughs) like it's uh I don't know. It just, you know, it's a problem for small businesses, and uh, that's what we're here to cover. Yikes. You know, I know someone who um, was trying to fly to Austin, uh, Texas, and accidentally got on a flight to Boston at the <laughs> airport, and they, like, she flew to Boston. They didn't. What? It was, like, halfway. She was, like, halfway there before they realized because she, like, heard it on the loudspeaker and just went. And they didn't check her ticket because she was it was, like, last person on, you know? Yeah, she just runs on. Whoa. So when I say that this sounds like a ridiculous mistake to make, like, maybe not. I don't know. I've never done that, but I have gotten the midnight noon thing mixed up on oh, a yeah. ticket before. Yeah. That sucked. I will, uh, I'll say that uh, a significant other of mine, we were headed to a <laughs> wedding. <But> there's multiple? <laughs> Yeah, just, no, just but, the one. But right? the biggest, yeah. I mean, the, the current, the, the two of us between, like, we've had some traveling mishaps along the way. I mean, some of them are self-inflicted, some are honest mistakes. But uh, we were heading to a wedding in New Jersey, and I get to the airport and I check in, and I'm just like ready to roll. And uh, she walks back to me from the ticket counter, and she was all upset. What's going on? I booked my ticket for next weekend. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, I didn't go as a bachelor. We just sent a card. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but these things happen. They you know? happen. Yeah, they happen to the best of us. All right, moving on to our final thoughts this week. Uh, Jeff, what's your final thought? So next week, I'm looking forward to doing two things that I have not done in a very long time. We're going up north. Um, so I'll be uh, going after some bluegills and bottle bass. But yeah. I think we'll actually actually get into like a restaurant. Oh, which like for the five of us, the whole family to be in a restaurant eating together. I'm like just really looking forward to that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just not cooking and going out. That should be awesome. Also, with Black Widow coming out, I think I'm going to go to a movie theater Whoa. for the first time in like a year and a half. Interesting. So I am very excited about the next week and yeah. a half yeah. about uh, the little things, appreciating the little things, I guess. I mean, if you're going to a Northwoods restaurant, you can't trust that Yelp review, the lone one. Yeah, I don't, they don't have a lot of Yelp reviews for Salon Springs, Wisconsin, so I think we're okay. All right. It'll, it'll be nice. Just, just live dangerously. That's know? right. That's right. I was actually thinking of the same thing. I go into a theater, and I'm still kind of like, is it going to be all right? <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but uh, to that point, just 
uh, wanted to use my final thought, final thought to let everybody know that we are going to be out next week. We kind of take a week off as an office to kind of get a little R&R, decompress, and really just get out of each other's space for a bit. And even though we've been working remotely, feels like we've been in each other's space a little bit. Maybe that's just me. Anyway, uh, so we won't have the podcast next week, uh, but the following week we'll have one out. Um, Anna, what is your final thought this week? I just wanted to mention to everyone that I saw a news release that Pabst is producing a 1776 pack mm-hmm. uh, in honor of 4th of July. Mm-hmm. Jeff's given that a slow clap and I don't blame him. Yeah. So 1,776 beers um, in honor of America. I mean, it's it's, <laughs> it's a long weekend. But could you imagine showing up at that party? How amazing would that be? And there's a 1776 pack there. Just that would be incredible. It would be so heavy. How would you? <laughs> it's so heavy. I mean, I don't know if you got if you in the release if you got to see it. I mean, it is awesome. the full back of an F one fifty. Yeah, and more credit to them because it is definitely just packaged like one case. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's I thought, hilarious. Awesome. Yeah, it is fantastic. I thought they were yeah. visionaries for the ninety nine pack. Yeah, and then I know. they come out blasting with a seventeen seventy six. It's. Uh, I thought it was seventeen seventy six. Well, that doesn't make any sense, Alex. It- One too many. <laughs> Again, Pabst doing it right. Yeah, I mean, we get the message, Pabst, and I like it. So I know that this is going to air after the Fourth of July. I hope everyone's okay. I'm not going to tell you to drink this, but um, just you should know try. It, know what's mm-hmm. there. And for the following weekends. <laughs> right. And it might last a while. Yeah. Unless you're having a really good party. Yeah. Right. The uh, the note from the shadows was Alex, resident PBR fan. So if we're going to get our facts checked. He's uh, the one. Yeah. He knows. Yeah. yeah. He's, he's going to have that right. All right. Well, very good. I hope you guys all enjoy your time off, and I look forward to seeing you again the following week. Is that right, Alex? You know, that voice from the side in the shadows was Alex, our resident PAPS expert. <laughs> Who clearly got it wrong. <laughs> yeah, because I thought 1777 was one too many. Uh, yep, yep. We're going to have to get a new Pabst expert. Yeah. Or a new audiovisual nerd. <laughs> Let's cut all this out. What if? No, <laughs> don't cut this out. What if? Like, who's the person who has... Abuse of power. 17 or 1776 beers. And who's the guy at the end that's just like, if only there was one more. <laughs> like, at least three or four people in this room. Uh, that's true. That's true. right save those tabs give them to education all right well for jeff and anna i'm david manti and before we leave please make sure to like share and subscribe to the podcast also you could do us a big favor by leaving us a positive review on whatever platform you use finally if you want to reach us you can reach us at jeff anna or david at email the podcast in the subject line and again we're calling it the holodeck now in the new studio but if you have a better name send it over Because it is just, I mean, uh, you got the fact wrong, Alex, but uh, you guys did a great job on the studio. So well done. You going to hit it? All right. I'm David Manti. This is the Today in Manufacturing podcast. We'll see you next week. Nope. We'll see you the following one. All right. Thank you for listening to the Today in Manufacturing podcast.